Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, five wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, and Susan's latest book, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at the Wise Woman University. But you can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Rebecca. Good evening, Susan. How are you, t- how are how are you, you today? Oh, I'm doing good. It's been a busy day. My son's going to start school tomorrow, so been... Oh, my gosh. How exciting. Golly, golly, golly. Yeah, really... yeah, busy days. So much to do. So many things to harvest. We had to sit down and make a little list of all the things we have to do. Make jewelweed witch hazel. Hmm. Do you make jewelweed witch hazel? It's one of our summer standards. We pick the jewelweed, root and all, rinse the Mm -hmm. soil off the root. The root has to be bright orange, and smash it into a pot, 
and cover it with witch hazel, just regular witch hazel from the drugstore, and bring it to a boil and cook it until it turns orange. Mm-hmm. It's usually like 15, 20 minutes. If it doesn't turn orange, then trade out the plant material. Get more plant material. It wasn't mature enough or there wasn't enough of the coloration in the root. Because that coloration is an anti-inflammatory. You think that would be something that would be good to plant if I didn't have it, like to get seeds of it, or is it like pretty invasive? Or it's, it's certainly not a native plant, and it is considered invasive. And I really ran up against that when I wanted to use it in Germany. I use um, jewelweed broth, not the witch hazel. You don't want to drink the witch hazel internally, but I also use the jewelweed same way. I smash it into a pot, cover it with water, and cook it into an orange broth. And I use that as a powerful anti-inflammatory. When I was in Germany, mm. one of my students had arthritis, which would flare up and make it impossible for her to walk up the three steps into the room where we met. And I really wanted to find some jewelweed and make some jewelweed broth for her. But because it's not invasive in Germany, it was very hard to find. As a matter of fact, it wasn't until we went to this very, very old cave, a cave where they found, oh, I think they found an ivory carving in this cave that was dated to be over 30,000 years ago. Oh, wow. And the yeah, area where that cave is, is was covered in jewelweed. Hmm. I would love to work with it, though. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. that's on our list of things to do. And the shiso is flowering. So that mm. means, I mean, the shiso is is even more delicate to frost than basil. I know, that's saying a lot, right? Basil is so delicate to the frost. You know, even say frost near basil and it can die. I actually think mine so is like too. Yeah. That it it's drops seeds. Oh, good. So we're yeah. really, you know, this is the time to start thinking about harvesting that shiso. Uh, are you going to make pesto from it? Are you going to um, dry some? I just filled up our salt grinder and I put some dried shiso from last year into the salt grinder. So as we grind our salt, we get some shiso in with it. And, of course, yeah. I think of shiso as American Tulsi. It's our holy basil. Mm. That sounds it's really such good an with easy salt. plant to grow. So time to start harvesting that. The sage and the rosemary and the mints, we'll harvest those in a while. But we have, even in our colder climate up until certainly the end of September and well into October, what with global um, getting warmers, <laughs> we have a longer season to do things. Mm-hmm. So I tell you what's what's been on my mind also though, and um, that I'm I, ca- I continue to get more and more upset about um, our dismissal from the job we'd been hired to do in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. And I and yeah, I get, a lot of the people that um, were that were going to go are, are also upset about it because they're like, you know, we should be able to make our own decision if we want you to teach there or not, but. Think, yeah. And I, my mm-hmm. sense is that that I'm not getting more upset personally, because like most of us, my personal upset comes up immediately. What comes up as a kind of aftermath is a broader upset, an upset for women, an upset for. Um, being told basically what we were told, because I just reread that email. What we were told was that the authorities 
and he didn't notice that he didn't name them, but respected authorities uh, don't feel that I could be trusted. Right. And it made me wonder, how would any woman feel safe in a situation like that? If I were going to go on a psilocybin retreat um, and wanted to use that as an opportunity to move into some heavy and deep things in myself, because I think that's what most people use that for, I would not want to be around somebody who's going to tell me that respected authorities don't approve of me. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I can I continue to be very distressed um, about mm-hmm. the way we were treated. I'm not distressed that he canceled. As I said earlier, that happens. It happens for a huge number of different reasons. But I, I don't feel that we were treated honorably. And this, and that's very really yeah. upsetting. Yeah. By a place and I think that has as their cachet, we want to be a place to be trusted. Yeah, and it's it's actually interesting because I I hadn't talked to anybody that had experiences there before this all had happened, and then um, I had talked to somebody, and I think that that's been showing up. And it's interesting that it showed up for you in that email because that's kind of the issue that people have been having when they've gone there to do deep work on themselves, that they're not being given the attention and, like, the respect that they that they need while they're there and to, like, integrate afterwards. They don't have any integration process afterwards. And so, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I've yeah, so it's yeah. Yeah. It's really deep work to be doing and um Well, I really yeah. you know, I, I really respect um Eric for taking the risk to set up a center to do that. And um I you know, hope that he can um make his way through what I consider really shooting himself in the foot here. Yeah. And you know he seems like the person that will learn from his experience here. So. I think, I think so. So Colleen and I have just cut up a whole bunch of bone set that I harvested on my walk today. Do you remember the botanical name of that plant? You might not, since it doesn't grow out your way. Um. Okay. I do have some growing. I planted some this year. I should oh. know. Esta. What is it? Eupa. Eupatorium. 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 No, I don't remember. Perfoliatum, <laughs> because the stalk grows through the leaf. Mm-hmm. You look down on it, it's not like the leaf comes to the stalk, but it looks like the stalk is growing right through the leaf. And I first got turned on to bone set by being told that the flu was called breakbone fever. And that the reason that this is bone set is that it relieves the muscle aches from flu because mm-hmm. it sets, not because it sets broken bones. And so when you, so when I, you make medicine, go ahead. Would you make, so do you wait for it to flower? And then that's what we just did. We just cut up the flowering tops. It's about the top third of the plant the stalk, the leaves, and the flowers. 
Yeah, mine hasn't quite flowered yet. It actually is not. It's a it's kind of a sparsely growing plant. It doesn't really it hasn't really filled out in my garden where it's planted. It is a plant that needs water and a lot of it. Yeah, I've been giving it lots of water. So okay, that's And my guess is that because it's a perennial root, that you're not going to get very good medicine from it until it grows for a while. Okay. Right. This places where I harvested are very mature stands, stands that have probably been there for a hundred hundred years. It's a really long lived oh, wow. plant. The bones of mm-hmm. it. It's, some perennials, you know, it's like, yeah, well, some years are there and some years they're not here, but, you know, bone set, I can go every year to the exact same places and pick it. Mm-hmm. Has your school cap really been taken off with all the rain out there? Um, no, because the stilt grass has really invaded the places it likes to be. Okay. And stilt grass is very invasive grass. That, um, well, I always say about the Artemisia vulgaris that it destroyed my mint bed, but I think that the stilt grass, given half a chance, would probably destroy an Artemisia vulgaris bed. Mm. It is that aggressive and just covers the ground where it grows. I mean, nothing can get through it. Mm-hmm. And skullcap, of course, is not such a vigorous plant anyhow. It's always a little, no. you know, right, it kind of grows in marginal environments so that the bigger plants can protect it. Mm-hmm. Well, we have an interesting guest tonight at 9 o'clock, and that is Carolyn Hauser. Carolyn Hauser came to America 13 years ago with $7 in her pocket and a dream. Stay with mm-hmm. us, 9 o'clock you'll be able to find out how a woman with $7 in her pocket got divorced, got bankrupt, married her divine partner, and has now grown her own business into a multi-six-figure company. Carolyn Hauser, 9 o'clock, right here. Sounds great. All right, we have a few people waiting with questions. If you have a question for Susan, please press 1 to speak with her. And our first caller is coming from the 845 area code. Hello, neighbor. Hello. Hello. How are you tonight? Oh, is this is this Susan? This is Susan, yes. Oh, hi, Susan. How are you? This is I'm Debbie. I'm doing, doing well. A little hot, but you know, that was the weather today. <laughs> Funny that you should say that. That's why I'm calling. I'm having a a terrible time with the heat, and I wanted to know if you could suggest anything. Um, About 10 years ago, I think I might have had, like, a heat stroke, and ever since then I've been uh, heat intolerant. And um, yesterday when I I got off the train in Rhinecliffe, the um, train station is not air-conditioned, and then when I tried to to walk home, it's only three blocks. My face turned bright red, and um, I felt like I was going to pass out, and uh, the heat is really getting to me. Do you have any suggestions? 
Yes. Let me check in that you are currently drinking nourishing herbal infusions. Yes, I am. Okay, good. That's step number one, to make sure that you're getting lots of minerals and electrolytes. And in this kind of weather, best if those are iced. Iced liquids get into your bloodstream in minutes. Did you say ice? I said iced. Iced? Have, oh. Ice, as in the thing the ice maker makes. Ice. Yeah, yeah, right, right. So ice will help. Ice is the most important thing for you. Wow. I didn't know that. Yes. Ice to you liquids, mean ice drinks? Ice liquids, ice to drinks go into the bloodstream in minutes. Hot liquids take hours. Oh, could that maybe why I had a problem yesterday? I drank a hot drink on the train. Yes. Wow. Oh. Much okay. better, even if you just get a glass of ice and crunch on the ice. Mm-hmm. But any kind of iced liquid. Okay. There's a couple of kind of cultural myths going on here. One, an American and I think European cultural myth that somehow it's not good to drink while you're eating, but it is just fine. It doesn't dilute anything. Mm-hmm. If drinking while you were eating diluted things, then you, we wouldn't have soup with our meals. Mm-hmm. Many cultures, it's traditional to start your meal with soup. And then the other thing is that we hear from Chinese practitioners and Ayurvedic practitioners that ice is a perversion. And believe right. me, if if you live in China or India and you want ice, that is a perversion. Mm-hmm. Because it's not available. But you live in America, <laughs> where ice is available everywhere. So okay. enjoy it. I will. It's one of those one of those extra special perks that we get. The native people believed that burdock root gave them tolerance to great heat. Mm-hmm. So Tonight I- on our salad, we had some burdock root vinegar, and we pulled the vinegared slices of burdock out of that vinegar. When I make my burdock root vinegar, I make sure to Cut the burdock root thin enough, small enough that I can use it in my salads once I have poured the vinegar down far enough. That's mm-hmm. a wonderful and easy way to get burdock into your diet, but of course also burdock tincture, which is easily available. What about a burdock root infusion? Is that as good or not? That would be just fine. So either a tincture or the infusion? Absolutely. And how much of the tincture would you take? I would ask the tincture and ask my body. Mm -hmm. I was trying to explain this the other day. I don't know if I did a very good job of explaining it, but what I do when I'm asking for a dose is I get the liquid that I'm going to take the dose in, and I hold the dropper in such a way that drops are coming out, but I'm not... Squeezing. And there's a point at which the drops stop coming out. Mm 
Now, certainly, if we looked at it like scientifically, we would see that there was probably a slight muscular contraction that caused those initial drops to come out, which then fades away. And I trust that it fades away at the time at which I shouldn't be putting any more in my cup. And mm-hmm. when I'm doing that with myself, I might get one day that I need five drops of this tincture and the next day that I need 25. And that gives me the sense that this is a pretty good technique. Mm-hmm. Because I am different from day to day. Right, right. Well, I'll try that. Yeah. So uh, burdock root would be one of the... Um and of course, oh, bird, if you're doing fusion, it would be iced, right? Bur- burdock infusion as Over an ice drink. I as an iced drink, exactly. Mm. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yeah. The other thing is, most people feel hotter in the minutes following the exertion than they do during the exertion. Oh. So knowing that you're a little more heat sensitive, you need to judge that exertion a little better. Right. And say, I okay. I it happened after I, I climbed can up I the feel, stairs. Can I feel twice as hot as this? And if you can't, then it's time to stop right there, whatever you're mm-hmm. doing. And say, okay. no, no, maybe I could take more right now, but then I'm going to get hotter afterwards. Mm-hmm. I have to leave some room there for myself. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. I like also, that. Also, you know, check out what menopausal women who are having hot flashes are doing. And that includes little personal fans, little personal fans with sprayers, sprayers without the fan, all of which cool, um, moist cloths on the back of the neck, including bandanas with gel inside them that you wet and then it swells up and yes. as it loses the moisture, it cools you. Mm-hmm. Oh, these are all really helpful ideas. Thank you, Susan. You are welcome. I know the first time that I was in an Arabic country um, and I was out in a rural setting where the women were still wearing long, black dresses. I said, "Ah, ah, oh, isn't that like designed to make them die of the heat? Poor women. Right. Isn't it? And I was told no. That the hotter it is, the more important it is to cover your skin. Oh. And for some reason, it seems to increase your skin's ability to get the heat out of your body. So you mean like wear long pants and and a long wear shirt? Long pants of very light material instead of shorts. Okay. Look around the world at people who live 
in desert settings and look at how well dressed they are. They don't go around in halter tops and shorts. No, they don't. <laughs> I think some of those things or all of those things will help you. Okay, you I can... think very much. I appreciate it. And you I'm going to try all of okay? these. Thank you. Thanks for calling. Green blessings. Thank you, Susan. Green blessings. Bye. Green blessings. All right, next caller is coming from the 208 area code. Hi. Can you hear me? Yes. I'm Tabitha Finn. I'm on an internet phone, so I'm not sure how my reception will go. But I've been wanting to call for a while with lots of different questions and just started reading your books and making my own medicine this year. And so today I'm kind of just calling for some parenting advice, I guess. I just put my son in kindergarten today, and I'm more emotional now that I'm even talking about it than I realized but um, they made him go eight-hour days this year, and so I thought he was going to do really good with it, and I've been a stay-at-home mom this whole time, so it's crazy, and he's my only kid, and he's kind of a outside boy and likes to have a lot of energy always, so I was a little worried of eight-hour days, of course, and so I brought him there, and he seemed to do good, and I left him after a couple, you know, a Almost maybe an hour I hung out in the back of the classroom with a couple other moms, and we're at a small school, and there was probably only about 12 kids in his kindergarten class this year. And so when I picked him up off the bus today, though, he wasn't very excited about it and ended up getting in trouble and had to sit down and not move and put his head down. And so now I'm wondering about sending him to school because it seems like we're having problems already. And so I'm just kind of wondering about homeschooling and what you kind of know maybe from Justine's um, homeschooling experience with her, with your granddaughter. And I guess I'll just let you tell me any advice you have for me now, maybe. Yeah. You know, when Justine went to school, the word homeschooling didn't really even exist. And mm-hmm. um, at the end of her first year, end of first grade in Woodstock, and there, there wasn't all this kindergarten preparation kind of stuff at that point either. Mm-hmm. Um, they said that they weren't um, promoting her on to second grade. Mm-hmm. And I looked at them and I said, but she's reading at third grade level and she's doing math at fourth grade level. What excuse do you have for holding her back? They said, well, she didn't come to school. Uh, enough days. Mm-hmm. She what? Because every time she said, I don't want to go to school today, I said, fine, what will we do? Right. That's how I kind of was this morning. I didn't really, because she really sleeps in until sometimes 1030 still, and so school started at 8, and I tried to get him up at 7, and he wasn't going to get up, and I tried to get him up at 730, and by the time 8 came around, he kind of woke up finally on his own more and was ready to go, so we tried it. But 
now I'm just wondering how I'm going to deal with it with him already getting in trouble. And I do so, want him to be able to go and be around the other kids and function in a, I guess, um, public manner. But I'm just more kids. traumatized doing now. Being around other kids is highly overrated. Right, because mm-hmm. that's what mainly my, I have seven sisters, and they all have four kids, and I only have one, and my plan is to only have one, so that's kind of been a little bit of peer pressure to put him in school, I guess, so that he would be more with the other kids. But, so that he would have to give up his individuality, so that he would have to learn how to be resentful of others, huh? Mm-hmm, Right. You have an opportunity to protect your son from that resentment. Yeah, that's how I'm kind of feeling today after that, because he doesn't want to go back tomorrow, of course. So I wasn't going to make him go and just kind of see if he wanted to go again later on. So as I said, you know, it wasn't like I was homeschooling Justine. Justine and I were living. Mm Mm-hmm. And because I'm an intelligent creative person we did intelligent creative things we did not sit home and watch tv we went out we made sports we we read books to each other we did things Mm -hmm. so you know we need to distinguish between children who live in houses where there is reading material everywhere and people read all the time and children who Mm -hmm. don't I suspect that your child mm-hmm. lives in a house where people read. Yeah, we do. I mean, there is a little bit more TV than I like, but we do do a lot of reading, and I'm a big reader. There and are I, periodicals. I bring them there to the library program. Pictures, there are magazines with pictures. There are books. There are picture books and books without pictures. This already is an enriching mm-hmm. environment for all children, which really gears them toward reading and learning and using resources, which is what we want. Are you familiar with the work of Mm -hmm. Summerhill? What was that? Are you familiar with the work of Summerhill? Um, I'm not sure. I don't think so. Summerhill was a profound influence on me because what Summerhill says is that humans are naturally curious. We want to learn. Mm -hmm. Parent cannot make a child learn, but a parent can get in the way of a child learning. Uh-huh. Obvious to most parents is for many children, going to school works. But there are also children for whom going to school makes them hate learning. Right. That's they what I was. He didn't want to do his name writing or anything. They learn in a spiralic and, fashion. Mm-hmm. Oh, m- my granddaughter said that what she wanted for her 11th birthday was to spend her 11th birthday in Paris. So uh-huh. her homeschooling now is about Paris and about French and about the people who've lived in Paris and the artists who have lived there and what can be done there and why one might, might want to do it and the history of France. It's not a history class where we study history and then we go to social studies and study social studies, and then we go to English class and study predicates and verbs. Mm -hmm. Right. I've been following Justine just recently with all that, too, and so it is real nice to see it through social media. 
so it's it, to me it's holistic learning. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like you know what we're doing with health is it's not just one thing, and that's that is certainly how Justine learned. She decided to go back into school into the school system when she was in sixth grade, and by then mm-hmm. had enough smarts to game that system. Mm-hmm. She cozied up to the head librarian, and she got a hall pass, and she could come and go in that school as she wished at any time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. that's what I think that I will have to just listen to him more and go with what he wants to do a little bit, and I might have to do more at-home teaching because I'm a little worried about just getting him able to do more of his writing and things. Summer because Hill. Summer Hill. Summer Hill, uh-huh. don't have to teach a child anything. All you can teach a child is to hate learning. I met a young right. girl who did not read or write into her teenage years. Mm-hmm. Her parents were Summer Hill devotees, and against all odds, they said she will learn to read and write when she is interested in it. We are not going to be she got it into her head. She wanted to be a Senate aide. She had to write an essay and take a, a, a test in order to do it. She learned to read in two weeks and wrote an award-winning right, kind of, within a month. Yeah, that's what I was kind of thinking because I do have one sister that's had some older girls and I've been homeschooling for the last few years, but she lives farther away from me and I've been trying to just manage how I'm going to do it now that I've hit that mile marker. and So, yeah, well, thank you yeah. very much for all this. You are welcome. Thanks for asking. These are very individual decisions, and they have to do with what works for you and what works for your child. It worked for Justine and I because I had chosen to be at home. And so yeah, that, and that's what I am always also, home and have. For Justine and Monica Jean, because Justine works from home thanks to computers. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and that's why I've been trying to think of what I will do for work now. Eventually, I need to start making more money and have been a stay-at-home mom, so I was thinking of school, but now that it hasn't been going that good, I'm just trying to rethink everything and what I will do for money. And me and my sister have been wanting to enroll in your herbal classes and go to the women gatherings, so maybe we will just decide to drive to Seattle instead of sending our little school. Well, I will be thrilled to see you on Vashon Island. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, and I'm glad I got through. I've been pretty nervous to call about different questions, so I'm just going to press one more often. Call again soon. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. Thank you. All right, the next caller is coming from the 732 area code. Hello. Hello. Hello, Susan. This is Ruth from New Jersey. Hi, Ruth. I hope hope things are well with you and yours. Thank you, and the same to you. Thank you. I have particular questions. Um, I'm 68, and about five years ago, my teeth started to clearly show their demise. 
I've gone to a dentist recently. I, I, I'm sorry, I, I lost you. Please, could you just please repeat that? The phone broke up a little. I'm sorry. Um, I'm 68, and about five years ago, my teeth started to clearly show their demise. Uh, your, I know your teeth started to show their what? Demise. Demise. Got it. Yes. Your teeth started to show that they were dying. Right. Is that right? Yes. Is that what you're saying, that your teeth were actually dying? They were losing sensation? Uh, no. I, I had teeth, for example, that broke off at the gum line. Uh-huh. And other teeth which are showing decay. Now, you said once teeth start to decay that they don't stop. I read that to mean, and I could be mistaken, that drill and fill is a reasonable alternative to that. That drill and fill is a reasonable alternative to tooth decay, which never stops. Um, you've lost me somewhere. Maybe you're thinking I said something that I never said. Okay. Uh, well, you said uh, I, I believe you said that when teeth begin to decay, it never stops. No, I never said that. Oh well, then I'm mistaken. No, I, I would not say anything like that. Okay. If you don't drill the decay out, it will continue. Yes. So there are people who've been told, oh, if you take this herb or that herb, even if you have tooth decay, it will stop the tooth decay. It won't. Your tooth has a hard outer covering. And once the decay is eaten through that covering and into the softer material, there is nothing that prevents it from going deeper and deeper and going right down into the root. So am I to understand that drilling fills Or, as you say, actually drilling that decay out and putting in a filling, and then you have to make a difficult choice. Do you want a piece of plastic in your tooth? which is not going to last for a real long time. Plastic fillings have a life of 10 to 12 years. Mm. Or do you want an amalgam filling, which could easily last for 40 or 50 years? Okay. I always choose amalgam. Okay. I do not want a piece of plastic, especially not as a chewing surface in my mouth. Okay. I don't keep my leftover food in plastic. Uh-huh. I don't eat microwave microwave food because it's usually microwaved in plastic. Yeah. I have a healthy regard for the harm that plastic can cause my body. Uh-huh. Whereas the tiny amount of mercury in that filling has never been shown to outgas or to cause any health effects at all. Okay. Unless it's drilled out. And then there's a thick manual about how you have to conduct yourself if you're going to drill out an amalgam filling. Which some, and I'm going to use the word unscrupulous here, some unscrupulous dentists say that it will improve your health if you allow them to drill out all of your mercury fillings and in every instance that I've known somebody to do that, their health has been ruined forever. Oh, my. 
because of the huge amount of mercury that outgasses from the drilling. Uh-huh. Right, and those fillings are not designed to be drilled. So if you have cavities, yes, please, to get them drilled and filled. And and why would a person have cavities? There's several reasons that interlock lack of minerals in the saliva leads to a thinning of the enamel surface of the tooth, allowing decay-causing bacteria to get through there more easily. And um, high amounts of refined carbohydrates in the diet leave more sugar residues in the mouth, which promote the growth of those bacteria. And to me, that includes any sweetened dentifrice. Any what? Sweetened toothpaste. Okay. I believe that tincture of yarrow is the ideal thing to use for oral hygiene. It kills all decay-causing bacteria. It kills all the bacteria that cause gum disease. It tightens the gums. It stops bleeding. It Uh kills pain in the mouth. And it heals any wounds. Uh huh. What a fabulous thing to use to brush our teeth. I've had opportunity to be using yarrow more recently, but not for years. I haven't been using it. Uh, nevertheless, the, the dentist said that the teeth which have broken off at the gum line uh, should be removed and uh, looking for uh, partial denture, and uh, so we're inquiring of the insurance whether they'll be involved with that or not. Now, I was thinking that rather than uh, antibiotics that he was suggesting, perhaps there's something else that I should be using. I mean, I'm sure there's something else I should be using. Why is the dentist suggesting that you use antibiotics right now? Because of the broken off tooth? The the broken off teeth, there's several. Um, There are several adjacent to each other? Yes. That's somewhat unusual. Was there trauma to that part of your mouth at some point in your life? No, there's uh, one tooth in the middle of four where um, the three are broken off and there's one tooth there. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, the dentist is suggesting that you use oral systemic antibiotics to prevent infection. To quell infection that's there. There's already infection there. That's what he's saying, yes. So, you're taking echinacea instead? No. So, you're taking nothing instead? Yes. Echinacea is an excellent anti-infective. I use it in fairly lavish doses of a drop of echinacea tincture for every two pounds of body weight. Okay. You divide your body weight in half, and that's the number of drops of echinacea figure 
that there are 25 drops to a dropper full. It's close okay. enough. There might be a few more. It's not a big deal. Okay. So if you weighed 150 pounds, you would want 75 drops of echinacea tincture or three dropperfuls of echinacea tincture as a dose. And depending on how severe the infection is, and it does not sound like it's very severe because it sounds like you're unaware of there being an infection. A little aware of it, but not... It's not too, so it's not very painful. There's not much bleeding or swelling or so on. No, when I sleep on it, I can feel not mm-hmm. right. So when it's an acute infection, I suggest echinacea can be taken to best effect every two or three hours. And as it moves back away from that acuteness, then lengthen the time between the doses. So you probably could even start at a dose every four hours. Okay. Okay. Half my body weight. I strongly prefer to use Echinacea augustifolia rather than the more common Echinacea purpurea. And I check the bottle very carefully if I'm buying it to make sure that there is no other herb in with it. In other words, I want it to be just Echinacea. Uh-huh. You have to look at the back of the bottle. Okay. Sometimes the front of the bottle will say Echinacea tincture, and then when you get it home and turn it around, you see that there are other herbs mixed in with the Echinacea that weren't listed on the front. Okay. 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 Are you asking uh, me some? Susan, yes. Susan. Um, but priorly, I uh, I gotten from advice from my daughter reading your things about a clove. Is a clove you got uh, advice from your daughter about what? Something she'd read from you about cloves. About, about the herb cloves or clothes like we wear? Cloves like the herb. Okay. Yeah. And are you at, are, do you use a lot of cloves? No, but uh, I couldn't uh, close at a spot where I had uh, felt there was uh, distress or pain, and mm-hmm. it seemed to, to quell that and and decide it. So you put actual cloves that you buy at the grocery store, like you put a, put them on your skin and then a Band-Aid on top to hold them there? Well, I put it in my gum, actually. Right mm-hmm. down into my gum. Mm-hmm. You would get more of the effect you're looking for from myrrh tincture. Myrrh tincture is a tremendous antiseptic in the mouth, stops pain. It has all the qualities of clove, but then some. Okay. 
parenting sure had yes. the difficulty all. the difficulty with the clothes is that we don't know who picked them okay. and as clothes only grow in tropical areas, we probably would not be amiss in figuring that whoever picked them does not have access to either a restroom or toilet paper. Uh, Is that really the kind of thing you want to stick in your gum? No. I remember when Justine came back, her husband was on the Olive Oil Council of America, and they were given this grand olive oil tour, and she came back and she said, I will never again eat a sun-dried tomato. It was all over Greece. They were sun-drying the tomatoes, and she said they were covered in flies. That they had children who would like run around the tomatoes waving things to get the flies up off the tomatoes so they could dry. She said the sight of a sun dried tomato now just totally turns her stomach. Oh, (laughs) You know, I I have friends who have been in China who say that they would never touch any herb that was grown in China. Uh huh. For similar reasons. Okay, Susan, excuse me. How much myrrh should I consider taking? I'm sorry? How much myrrh should I consider taking? You're not going to take it. You're going to put it on your tooth or your gum, wherever it hurts. Okay. It's topical. It's used topically. Okay. Okay? Yes. Good. I think you will get some benefit. Myrrh is a resin. When you put it into your mouth, it will kind of gum up. It'll turn to kind of like beeswax in your mouth, so long as it's good quality myrrh. If it doesn't do that, you need to look for some better quality myrrh. Okay. Okay? Yes. All right, then. Thanks for your call tonight. Okay. Thank you, Susan. I appreciate your time and the knowledgeability that you're such a help, and uh, I look forward to reading more. I'm reading new all the years, and uh, I look forward to reading more of your work. Thank and you. Looking Thank forward to a book coming out soon, I understand. Yes, hopefully, hopefully. I will get back from this journey to California and um, Oregon and get right back into it. I've been doing some light editing over the past uh-huh. few months, but I have not had the... I, I'm giving myself the indulgence of not working on Abundantly Well unless I could really can sit there for days and work on it. Mm-hmm. Okay. really want to, you know, du- make this a deep, deep dive and really pull a lot up from from inside all of my years of life and existence. Well, thank you for your time in doing that because it's very important for us out here. Oh, thank you Green blessings. Green blessings. Good night. What I love about your team is that you really teach from experience. (laughs) Yes, thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, Our next caller is coming from the 802 area code. Hi, uh, Susan. This is Barbara. Hi, Barbara. Barbara Volk? Barbara, pardon me? Barbara Volk? No, Barbara Flack. Oh, yeah, well, you don't have to identify who it is. It's just the way the way you said it made me think, oh, it's the Barbara who was just here. Huh. But, 
Well, That's my fine. question tonight is about golden seal and using it. And, okay. Um, I have uh, had the stomach, um, stomach and esophagus and um, even a tongue problem um, for ever since I had a surgery. And I think maybe it was the antibiotics, but, uh, you know, like right after the surgery, that went well. But um, it was like my upper, my upper GI has been messed up. Not only that, but stress and other things have added to it. So I've had GERD and, oh, just the stomach pain. Um, like I've, had, I've been diagnosed with a, a hiatal hernia. And the, lately the thing has been on my, like there's this on my tongue, it's like this kind of looks like um, maybe some kind of candida. It's hard to tell. I, take, I go to the dentist. I go to my um, naturopath, and no one is, like, I've, I've tried various different things for all of this. Okay, so my question is about golden seal, and a neighbor has a whole a lot of it growing on the side of her house, and so she dug some up, and I just was, I was reading about it because I might have H. pyloria as well, H. pylori. I would hope you have Heliobacter pylori. 95% of the population of the world does. Oh, okay. Well, what do you think about chewing? I think that if you destroy H. pylori, you wind up with really bad intestinal problems. Okay, so this is an upper GI problem. A guardian. What's that? Heliobacter pylori is a guardian of the intestinal tract. Ah. Getting rid of it is the worst possible idea. Do you, do you think golden seal chewing it would be a good idea? I don't. Oh, okay. Absolutely not. It's too strong. Let me tell you my favorite golden seal story. You know, when I was first interested in herbal medicine, golden seal is what everybody used as an anti-infective, and I hated it. It was so bitter. It stained everything. It was just like, you know, my body said, what? Come on. This is not the way to get healthy. And so I, you know, kind of set golden seal aside and pursued other herbs and came up with echinacea and popularized echinacea. And it's a much happier, kinder herb to use as an anti-infective. And it loves people. It loves to go around people, whereas we were well on the path toward exterminating golden seal at the rate people were using it. So I'm happy to see people using far, far, far less golden seal and lots, lots, lots more echinacea, which is so easy and fun to grow. Then I started to kind of get interested in golden seal because I knew that it was a native plant and native people used it. And I started to ask my native contacts, how did you use golden seal? And they all said to me, it was great dye. Oh. And yellow pacoon is what, you know, yellow pacoon translated, you know, into various languages is what most of them called it. So I pursued this. I pursued this with a few of the women that I thought knew more than they were telling me. And finally, one of them said to me, you know, you keep pestering me about golden seal. And I can tell you more about golden seal, but you're not going to like it. Mm. And I said, yeah, that's that's exactly what I want to know. I want to know the stuff that I'm not going to like, so tell me. She said, you probably know that native groups made war on each other. And that they weren't like big wars with tanks and planes. They were more like skirmishes and, and you know, ambushes and coming in in the middle of the night and so on. And she said, I'm sure that you've also heard that Native men were particularly adept at torturing the captives that they got. She said, but what is rarely talked about is that the men only tortured the men. The women got to torture the captive women. 
She said one of our favorite tortures was to take a captive woman and tie her up and deprive her of food and water for a sufficient length of time that she would eat anything and then give her golden seal to eat. And it would cause liver failure, kidney failure, perforate her intestine and cause her to die. Is this the kind of herb you want, given what's going on in your gastrointestinal tract? No, 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 no. And that's why I'm glad to hear what you have to say. Thank you. Yeah. Huh. Well, Again, the heroic mission used in. a lot of golden seal. They threw it in everything, and they believed that it had really miraculous healing properties. Mm. And I'm not saying that it is worthless. It contains berberine, but there's lots of other sources of berberine, including mahonia, Oregon grapefruit, uh, coptis from China, gold thread from the United States, even berberus, beautyberry, where we get the name berberine from. So, say, it would be better to buy some berberine um, powdered and in a capsule already, like that's made for my, uh, for medicine. I never take any herb powdered in a capsule. Yeah, okay, okay. Pa- herbs powdered in capsules are at their most dangerous, least effective, and most expensive. Yes. Well, what, what would you suggest? Or gastrointestinal distress. Situation? First thing that I do is Cipriel. Is well, Cipriel? Slippery. Elm. Ah, slippery elm, yes. Slippery elm. Are you using slippery elm in any form now? No, I'm not. Slippery elm could be a very wonderful ally for you. I like to mix the slippery elm powder with honey to the consistency of a pie dough, roll it into balls, stick one in my cheek, and let it slowly dissolve for 15 or 20 minutes. Mix the slippery elm powder with honey, roll it in a ball, and suck on it. I don't even really suck on it. I put it in my cheek. Okay. I just let it dissolve. Do you think Manuka honey would be good? Or any old honey? I would not pay the fancy price for Manuka honey for this application. I would pay the fancy price for Manuka honey if I was dealing with gangrene. Ah, okay. Okay. You probably have access to buckwheat honey. Oh, I which think is, so, yes. Which is a tenth the price and yeah. at least as effective, if not more so. Alrighty. Manuka honey happens to come from a country that wanted to capitalize on it, and they put a lot of research and money into research on it. But the research that's been done on buckwheat honey shows it to be pretty much equally effective. All right. It's a it's a dark honey that we want. We're looking for the darker honey. Yeah. There we has more healing power, but once it's inside your body, it doesn't make a lot of difference. The Manuka honey thing is for outside applications primarily, uh-huh. not for in- internal applications. Uh-huh. So any good quality honey will work just fine, and this will start to restore normal cell growth to your intestines, the entire lining of your digestive tract is replaced every 24 hours. What about this? uh, Slippery elm will start immediately replacing the lining of your entire digestive tract from your mouth all the way through your esophagus, your stomach, your small intestine, your large intestine, your rectum, and your anus will start within hours to replace any problematic tissue with good, strong, healthy tissues 
the longer you use the slippery elm, the better the condition of the intestines. Slippery elm quells acid reflux. Oh, good. Slippery elm both counters diarrhea and counters constipation, so it normalizes. It's an adaptogen to the gut. Mm-hmm. It doesn't push the gut to go either way at all. The biota of the large intestine is pretty much set by the time we're three years old. It's somewhat variable between birth and three, and by then it's pretty much set. It's so much so that you could actually identify somebody from the biota of their large intestine. The biota of the small intestine changes. We're not exactly sure how or why or when, but it may change as frequently as every hour. And there are hundreds of different organisms in the small intestine. When we take an antibiotic, certain parts of the biota of the small intestine are depressed and other parts jump up to take their place. The way to get a healthier mix back in the small intestine is to increase the number of bacteria-rich and moldy things that you eat. So, in other words, you would recommend eating sauerkraut and, um, and cheese and homemade cheese. wine and German beer and, yes, yogurt, 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 yogurt. As a matter of fact, um, I believe that it is, in most instances, the healthiest to take yogurt at the same time that you're taking an antibiotic. Now, by that, I don't mean you have to literally drop the antibiotic in the yogurt, but that you take, that you consume yogurt on a daily basis while you are also consuming antibiotics. Yeah. Okay, so start with the elements. We know that gut flora is more positively impacted by food than by liquid. So the sauerkraut better than the beer. The yogurt, yogurt better than kombucha, raw milk cheeses. Excellent. Okay. Right now, I'm like on this diet uh, because of the fungus. I guess it's a fungus on my tongue. No one seems to identify it. But sewer on my tongue. On your tongue, and being on a restricted diet is going to make your situation a lot worse. Like no dairy and no grains. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Well, I'd certainly rather go with your idea. (laughs) It sounds a lot better. I have okay. never known anyone to get well from making their diet narrower. Huh, interesting. Now, of course, if you have celiac disease, you need to avoid gluten. Well, I didn't have it before. I don't if know you, if I you, Well, then you don't. It. It's a genetic disease. You either have it or don't. You don't get it. It's not okay. contagious. <laughs> I mean, it could have popped up, you know, no, it could for not. some reason. Mm-mm. doesn't work that way. In the surgery I had, I uh, it was a hip replacement. I had a lot of antibiotics, and and one thing when I the operation was really successful, the hip and everything, but my tongue was really messed up. I felt like I must have bit my tongue in surgery, and and um, it ne- you know it's never been right since. It's like it sores all the time, and mm-hmm. I, I I guess I if I was having problems with my tongue, I would probably seek out an acupuncturist. An acupuncturist, okay. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, right. because well, they use the tongue as an indicator of general health. And rather than treating your tongue, they will see what your tongue is indicating and treat that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Well, so they might see something like, you know, overheating, you know, in the triple warmer. And the overheating in the triple warmer is causing these sores on your tongue. And so we have to cool the triple warmer. And to do that, we are going to do this for the liver. And I'm just making this up. I'm not saying this yeah. is an actual yeah. diagnosis, but that's the kind of diagnosis that you would get. Mm-hmm. And it's very different from a Western diagnosis, which is there is a causative agent. We will kill it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. I like these ideas. You're welcome. Green blessings. Thanks for calling. Green blessings as well. Thank you. Our next caller is coming from the 847 area code. Hello? Hello. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, You're welcome. I have been uh, really, really dealing with depression now for years. Um, I'm guessing all from just postpartum. I'm still breastfeeding my three-year-old, and I have a... a almost nine-year-old as well. Um, But it mostly comes with um, in kind of cycles and, you know, I I deal a lot with just my self-worth and things that I never really dealt with when I was younger. Um, I have been taking infusions. Um, I've been drinking about two quarts a day now for for maybe two weeks and – and it really, really helped me, but just recently, and I, I also am I'm, I'm having a menstrual cycle, so I know that plays into it as well, but um, I'm just really struggling, and I'm trying to figure out what, I, what else I can be doing to help myself. Um, also, the nettle, I've been, I told you I've been drinking two quarts, and um, my my period was two days late, which is unusual. And I had like no pain whatsoever around it. And it's just today now that I'm really starting to have pain. And I switched to oat straw um, today and I started to feel pain. Um, So I don't know if I should just be drinking nettle or if that was a weird thing that my, that I was two days late Um, or what you suggest for all that. The nettle has nothing to do with your being two days late, if that's what you're asking. Okay. Okay. Um, when was the last time you had time off? Um, I recently had time off. Um, I took a five-day trip, and it, I mean, it restored me almost completely. And when I returned back to my my family, everything just got incredibly chaotic again. I have a great family. I mean, a good relationship with my husband and, you know, and my so kids. So what do you, mean, what do you mean chaotic? You mean chaotic within you or chaotic on the outside? I think I keep trying to sort of keep um, this status quo, this kind of inner peace inside of me. And when I'm at home, I, I don't seem to be able to do that. And then I get frustrated and 
the whole self-worth cycle goes around. And I, I'm, I'm so not following when, you. There's an inner what inside you? Um, just, so when I had this time off, uh-huh. I was pretty much, I felt completely restored. I felt positive, happy, healthy, strong. Right. And when I had, when I come back into my family life, I just end up back into this cycle of intense. Come on, buddy. Okay. I just come back into this, um, this cycle of depression and it sort of slowly drags me into it. It slowly drags me into it. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit more about this? Because I'll tell you truthfully, I had maybe met two or three women in my life who were truly depressed. Most women who say they're depressed have given up because they are too fed up. Well, I... And I'm wondering if when you're by yourself, things seem to be orderly and controllable because you're by yourself... And then when you return home, things are completely unorderly and uncontrollable. And that's frustrating to you. But you don't want to be frustrated because it's your beloved husband and your beloved sons. So you stuff that frustration down inside you. Well, even when they're gone, like when my husband's at work, as soon as I take my kids to school, I just, it's like I just needed to sleep all the time. I need to sleep and I, even now when I'm just in the world socializing with people, it's almost like I'm distant. Um, just emotionally, I'm just not interested. Um, so the past couple of weeks that I've been drinking these infusions, I feel much better. Come here, buddy. But I'm now, again, starting to feel... We're going to go find it, okay? Starting to feel it again, and I'm just really frustrated with that because I I just want to be more functional and better for my family, for everybody. Um, I feel my daughter is kind of really empathic to me and almost taking on different aspects of this person that I have been. Well, there's several ways through this. And one of the most direct ways through this is stop telling yourself you're depressed and put a smile on your face. Yeah. Now, that's not easy to do. The land that I'm living on I bought with two other women. They betrayed me, abandoned me deprived me, told me I wasn't good enough. They did everything they possibly could really make my life an absolute horror show. Yeah. And I let myself sink into it for four years. And I was desperate to get out of it. And a dear teacher said to me, the only way out now is to put a smile on your face and go gladly forward. And I said, I don't feel like smiling. She said, I didn't say mm-hmm. like it. I said, do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What you want is to be more there for your family. I personally mm-hmm. believe that you can be. 
But I'm I'm not the one who's pushing you into it. I'm also okay with mom sleeping all day. You've had a lot yeah. of nights. You stayed up all night. Yeah, and I have been. Look, you got a three-year-old. You're, last... you're still sleep deprived if you have a three-year-old. Yeah. You you are. And I mean, just this last cycle, I've just been really kind to myself, telling myself you don't have to do anything. You're you know, going through this, and I keep telling my husband as well. But I, you know, there are a lot of um, demands on women and and mothers now, and um, I'm doing what I can, I think. And yeah, I've um, always been those demands on women and mothers. Imagine if every stitch mm-hmm. that your children wore, you had to grow the plants, harvest them, wreck them, spin right. the fiber, weave it into cloth. Cut it out, sew it, and that's how they got their clothes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mothers always have a lot to do, but let's face it, mothers nowadays, most of what mothers do nowadays, they've laid on themselves. Yeah. They don't, yeah. Yeah, there's not as much community support. Um. So I'm wondering if there's any other thing that I that I should be doing or if I'm missing something, if there's an herb I could be taking or a tincture I could be taking. I've tried rhodiola, um, which helped me for about a week. I suddenly had rhodiola energy. Rhodiola is, is more for people who can't get themselves to finish anything. Mm-hmm. It's not really an antidepressant. Again... What is going on, we believe, in the brains of people who say they are depressed is they don't have enough serotonin. That's why we give them SSRIs, Selective Serotonin Mm -hmm. Reuptake Inhibitor. In other words, this inhibitor prevents the reuptake of serotonin so that serotonin stays in your brain for a long time. At workshops, I don't know if it would work over the telephone, but at workshops, I take people into their brains and have them both raise and lower their serotonin levels because it is one of the easiest things that you can do. It's as easy as really? controlling your breathing. Wow. And the easiest act of increasing serotonin is to smile. Hmm. I like that. Or as one of my teachers said, the best way to not be depressed is to laugh more at yourself. Yeah. Depressed, she said, is simply taking yourself far too seriously. (laughs) Yeah, that's probably true. Um, Yeah. I just find myself so inside of myself, and I see it in other relationships that I have as well, that they... Um, distance themselves from me because I'm some I, I don't really know why exactly but it's almost like I have this sense that people stay away from <laughs> or something I don't know the fact of the matter is that most people don't pay much attention to anything outside themselves I know this is hard to believe but one of my shamanic teachers would drive this point home to me about how centered on themselves people are 
required of me to go to Grand Central Station. And in the middle of Grand Central Station, in that big hallway, to take my clothes off and put on a new outfit. No one, what? no one noticed. Mm. No one stopped. No one said what's happening. <laughs> you are taking yourself yeah. too seriously if you think people are avoiding you. They're not avoiding you. They're avoiding themselves. Hmm. Yeah. That's that's really interesting. It's good to hear that from someone else. Yeah. Um, because I obviously also get very stuck in my own in my own head about just what is going on with me and um I forget that sometimes it's simple. It is not a popularity contest. It's your life. It doesn't matter if no one likes you. Right. doesn't. You have to like you. At the end of the day, you have to say, yeah, I live today. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, if you find something you don't like... You have tomorrow to do something about it. Right. Right. I was also curious, um, do you think two quarts is too much to drink in a day? I hear you a I lot. It's a liquid is too much to drink. Okay. I do not think that human beings thrive when they are drowned in liquid. Mm-hmm. The whole idea that you need two quarts of liquid a day was made up by an advertising executive at a major soft drink company mm. to sell their brand of bottled water. And they began to promote the idea, right, eight times eight, eight, eight-ounce glasses every day. It's simply an advertising point. It has no basis in good health. Yeah. Okay. So So maybe I'll try. Yeah. And I know that you're still breastfeeding the three-year-old, but not that much, right? Right. No, it's just... It's just kind of on and off in the evening and in the morning. It's barely anything. Exactly. It's not like if you were actually breastfeeding a a, a young child, then yes, right. you would, then two quarts would be ideal. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, but I think that at this point that you that you're not making enough breast milk to make that important. Okay. All right. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so you much. You are welcome. Green blessings. Green blessings. All right. It looks like we have two callers with questions remaining still before our guest oh arrives goodness, for the evening. Only ten minutes before our guest Carolyn Hauser is here. All right. So you got about five minutes for each caller. Let's see. All right. 
The next caller is coming from the 319 area code. It's me. Hi. Hello? Hello. Well, hi. Um, So I am new to herbalism. I'm almost 50, and I have six kids, and four of them are grown. And um, I'm so excited to get into this use of plants. And so I've been learning all I can. Uh, Before I learned about you, I had come across the New England um, Herbal Society. I'm I'm a little nervous, so I can't even remember the group I'm learning through. It's an online academy. So I've been doing intermediate course and uh, some other courses, but then I found you and you've been so interesting and enlightening. And um, I have been reading Stephen Buhner's book on the herbal antibiotics. My kids, my older kids have been just taking antibiotics anytime any doctor says you have more than just a cold and anytime they go in for dental treatment it's just sort of what they go to and um, reading through his book I realized there's a lot of issue right now with um, antibiotic resistant bacteria and um, some a couple of the plants are plants we don't have around here and I wondered if you knew some plants in the Midwest and Iowa if you knew some plants that would work as well as some of the suggestions he has. The short answer to your question is no. No, okay. Stephen has looked worldwide for the plants that he recommends in and talks about in herbal antibiotics. It's not as though it's a book about the Northeast. Hmm. Right. Right. Um, I, I would be shocked if there are not several of those plants that do grow where you live because he has a pretty good range of things. Again, where do you live? I live in northeastern Iowa. Northeastern Iowa. Is that high desert? Nope. Is that prairie? No, we, yes, we're primarily prairie, although uh, my particular, I live on a little three-acre oh, Artemisia plot. Will, and, Artemisia will definitely grow. Cida, mm-hmm. I'm sure, would grow there. Bidens would grow there. I'm sure there's okay. junipers there. Berberines, mm-hmm. various plants with berberine would grow there. Um, okay. In wet places, boneset, the plant that Colleen and I just prepared, Echinacea is a plains plant. The best Echinacea is found in the plains. Yes, I have Echinacea growing all around me. Um, The person who lived here before I did planted it, but I don't know if it's Anglosifolia or uh, Purpurea. So I have some dried for tea, but right now my uh, purple color I would never use Echinacea as a tea. Okay. Certainly not going to do anything. Oh, okay. I so would, that dried echinacea, would I should tincture the fresh root. Echinacea purpurea loses all of its antibiotic qualities when it's dried. Okay. And since you don't so know what purpur- it is, let's, let us assume it's purpurea. 99% of the plant time it will be purpurea, so let's just assume it's purpurea and that it is useless dried. Uh, okay. Completely and totally useless, right? Also, 
you would have to be very rich in echinacea to make it worth your while to use echinacea tea to deal with any infection at all. You'd have to drink about two to three gallons of echinacea tea a day to get the effect you want. Okay. Which is why echinacea root is tinctured. You don't know if it's purpurea or augustifolia. When the first frosts come, dig your echinacea root, tincture it up fresh. It doesn't matter which one it is. Okay. Okay. How about the white coneflower variety? Is that it's in the same family, I assume? Does it have the same medicinal properties? Dig the root, taste the root. If the root makes your lips and tongue tingle or numb, then the answer is yes. If it doesn't, then the answer is no. Oh, nice. Okay. Thank you. You are welcome. And that's our five minutes, and I need to talk to the next person. Green blessings. Thanks for your question. Green blessings. Good night. Okay, our last caller before our guest arrives is coming from the 610 area code. Hello, Susan. Hi. Hi. Thank you for all your work, and thank you, Rebecca, for all your help with everything. I, Yay, um, Rebecca. My, uh, I have a, um, a lot of musculoskeletal um, issues, uh, a lot of aching, uh, stabbing, foot pain and neuropathy, nerve pain, tingling in the bottom of my foot, down my leg. I definitely have a bone spur uh, in my heel, tendonitis and heel pain. I've been, uh, I spoke with you last November, and I have uh, been very religious about uh, my use of uh, nourishing herbal infusions, and I've done a lot with comfrey and St. John's wort, both uh, comfrey oil, salve, and compresses, depending on what I have. But I just keep putting on the comfrey, uh, especially on the on the heel. Um, St. John's wort oil down my legs and the bottom of my uh, feet for the my one I'm foot curious foot as I'm curious as to what the comfrey oil was made from, the root of the leaf, and if it did anything for your heel. I um. I grow my and dry my own comfrey. I do not dig up the root. Um, I use the the, the plant um, and dry it. And I I made salve, and then I ran out and uh, I bought some salve, and then I um, made some oil and salve that I've been using again. You know, so you made oil and salve from from dried comfrey leaf. Yes. And did it have any effect on your heel? It doesn't seem to. I wouldn't, I I wouldn't I, imagine that it would do anything at all. Well, I've also been using the compress, so I do the infusion and now I do the double That might throw. have effect. Castor oil will often dissolve bone spurs, but if we're going to use comfrey for external application, it could, should be fresh leaf or fresh root in the oil. And because it's high moisture content, you need to switch it out at three weeks. So you dig up a little comfrey root, wash it, chop it, fill the jar with the root, fill the jar with oil, or ditto with the leaves, especially get the leaf stalk, which contains the healing compound allantoin. The leaves themselves are not very healing. The root and the leaf stalk. So I always harvest my comfrey when it's flowering. I don't just harvest the leaves. I harvest the whole leaf stalk. Right. Okay, because now wait. That's the that's the real goods there. So that if I'm going to make comfrey oil or ointment 
that's what I use is root or leaf stalk if I don't want to disturb the root and really not much leaf at all. And as I said, trade it out after three weeks, you know, take the plant material out and put fresh plant material in. Otherwise, it can get kind of rotty. Um, But but castor oil is the um, known dissolver of uh, spurs. How is your uh, how are your nerves responding to the hypericum? Uh, it seems to come and go. I, um, I, it's, it's and is there. that different? Was it constant before? Or did it always come and go? It was constant before, so there was some improvement. But, okay, but, so that definitely does sound like improvement. Yes, but my concern is I I went I just went to a foot doctor after work today because I've had pain in my big toe joints. Um, anyway, she did an extremely thorough physical exam of every um, tendon and uh, every ligament and bone at each joint, what hurt, what didn't hurt, and basically um, sent me away and said, you don't have a foot problem. You have a systemic problem. And she is recommending that I uh, go to a family doctor or rheumatologist for um I'm going to say it wrong. So showed either lupus or the S-J-O-R-E-N, Sjorgens, I forget how to say it. Sjorgens. Syndrome. Yes. Sjorgens. Yep. Yes. And so my my question is, if if I end up with an autoimmune diagnosis and and it makes – I, I – where, where would I start in, in trying to support myself on that? You don't need to have a diagnosis to support yourself. True. The diagnosis is completely beside the point. I agree, but I agree just in, in general terms that most people have systemic inflammation. So one of the first things that I ask people to do is to remove all sources of pepper from their diet. No black pepper, no curry, no chili powder, no cayenne pepper, no jalapenos, no peppers. Some people are also pretty sensitive to ginger. And although ginger is praised as an anti-inflammatory, I find for some people it is actually an inflammatory. Okay. So once you get rid of the pepper, and many people tell me that within a week or two of getting rid of the pepper, that they are amazed at how much better they feel. And many of these people who've told me this have been people who are incredibly skeptical. They ah, oh, I don't need that much pepper. Ah, oh, that can't make any difference. And they come back to me and say, oh, my gosh. One of the um, places where I teach in Woodstock is a wonderful artist who comes to all classes, and she was starting to get... And she had been diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis in her hands. She's an artist. And she's like, this has got to stop. And I said, all right, we'll get the pepper out of your diet. And she really poo-pooed it. And then I, because I, you know, teach in, in town every uh, three or four months, I saw her again the next time. And she said to me, she said, I, I would never have believed that taking pepper out of my diet could have done this much to back off the inflammation in my hands. Wow. So that's one place to start. We also know that refined carbohydrates, that's corn syrup, white sugar, and white flour, lead to inflammation in the body. Processed meats also. 
It would be lunch meats, hot dogs, um, ham, those kinds of things, and meat that's been processed. So those are good places to start in terms of quelling inflammation. You are drinking the nourishing herbal infusions. That's wonderful. Are you making rebrews of the linden or the comfrey? And yes, then I've already gone two minutes over the time when I should be talking. Okay. Thank you so much for your help. So I'm going to say green blessings and check out those rebrews. Thank you. And welcome to Carolyn Hauser. Thirteen years ago, Carolyn came to America with $7 in her pocket and a dream. She came from Germany with a dream that she would be able to help others. Well, she encountered some pretty difficult life situations that helped to define her and to turn her into the person she is today. She remembered her own childhood sexual trauma. She recovered from a 10-year-old eating disorder. She dealt with her chronic fatigue. She got divorced. She went bankrupt. And now she is married to her divine partner and her soulmate, Paul. She has helped over 5,000 other people heal, find love, and create success in their lives. And she's grown her own business into a multi-six-figure company. Carolyn has written an award-winning book, Blossom, Seven Steps to Sexual Healing. She was trained in Germany as a naturopathic doctor, a humanistic psychotherapist, and a family constellations facilitator. She's an internationally recognized speaker and a teacher on the subject of women's empowerment, spirituality, relationships, and emotional healing. Her work is based on the intersection of the human body, experience, and past trauma, and how that sparks healing. Carolyn Hauser knows that each individual's authentic and true self is the source of personal good and a place of unlimited abundance, creativity, courage, and joyful existence. And she's here to help you maximize that. Welcome to the show, Carolyn. Thanks for having me. So glad to have you here. And let's see your book, um, Blossom, Seven Steps to Sexual Healing is a brave and bold kind of thing to write about. Thanks. <laughs> what, and much needed. <laughs> what gave you the courage to do that? Well, I actually didn't remember my um, my sexual abuse until I had gone through all my training and had worked as like uh, you know um, humanistic psychotherapist. And so by the time I remembered, I was already thirty. And kind of thrown for a hoop, and because I had all the training, um, it seemed like it had to do, it had something to do with my purpose. And so, rather than just um, going on the healing journey by myself, I actually took a group of women with me, and um, I came up with the concepts, and then basically um, tried it with them, and then took everything that that worked and put it into the book. And so that's how it was. I kind of helped myself. Um, you know, I had worked on myself so much. My whole 20s I spent um, working through my stuff to, to become a, a psychotherapist in Germany. And so um, I, had, I, had, I had a sense that it was really about, not about me, it was really about, a, a, you know, a greater, a greater thing. And so it helped, me, it helped me tremendously also not to go through it by myself and basically have um, a tribe of, of people, women, um, that went through that journey with me. I've been 
wanting to ask you a question tonight that isn't on your list of questions. And because it isn't, you Perfect. certainly can, are absolutely free not to speak to it at all. But I read something that really kind of annoyed me, and I thought maybe you would have something to say about it. Okay. And what I read said, anyone who has been hurt will hurt others. Anyone who has been abused will abuse others. And um, that is true as long as it stays in the subconscious because, um, you know, when we, when we don't deal with our stuff, we, we, we basically um, shift into a victim mentality and feel like everything is happening to us. And so we, we can develop an attitude of um, entitlement or hostility towards others. And so in some ways it's true and in others it's not because it's only true for people that don't really look at their trauma and heal from it. You know, there's great big chances that you will become abusive towards other people or become a perpetrator. So, yeah. If you, if you refuse to look at what's happening to you. Yeah, if you re- if you don't if you don't do your healing work right, if you stay stuck in, oh you know, poor me and what happened to me and everybody else everybody else's fault, right? If you see yourself as a victim of every not just what happened, but I mean, I know that I deal with with this a lot with the apprentices, and I'm sure you do too. Is they show mm-hmm. up with this victim attitude? Yeah, and it's you know it's it's I mean even to the state from I find myself in some situation where I feel disempowered and don't believe that I have a say or something and where I become very um, short or um, controlling, right, those things. So um, most of us have, you know, most of us were not raised in an environment or live in an environment where it's about thriving, right? So most of us, we're, we're stuck in survival still. So how do you help people get out of being stuck in survival? That is a great question. Um, so what, what really helped me was to take the trauma healing out of the realm of mental illness and take it into the realm of the energetic. Because what happens when trauma happens is it is an, is an energetic impact on our nervous system. It's like, imagine that your body is a house that isn't, you know, that might not get wired correctly for lightning and then lightning strikes and everything in a house will basically um, be affected, right? The circuits will melt and fires might break out and so forth. And it's kind of the same um, that ha- what happens to our nervous system. There's uh, huge amounts of energy generated during trauma, and it, it literally breaks down the, the power lines in our, in our physical body. And so when I work with people, we, we work on healing those places and really work on the energy, you know, to work, help you basically get from a state where you have a lot of negative energy in your system to a place where you have more positive energy. And then most of, you know, most everybody has heard about the law of attraction by now. So good things come to us when we become of a higher vibration. And I don't know if you talk about this on your show, but um, the law of attraction states like attracts like. So when, when we become of a, um, a more positive vibration, and it has nothing to do with, um, pushing stuff away and just talking ourselves into positive thinking, right? It really has to do with um, healing and cleansing our nervous system, which is lives in our body, so that our whole being and our whole body can become of a, a, a positive vibration. 
How would you define a positive vibra- vibration? Um, it's measurable. So low vibrational energy, if everything, there's a, there's a certain marker, a specific marker, and that's um, the vibrational rate of 200. And this can be measured, right? It's, a, it's basically speed. Lower vibrations, um, they vibrate slower. And higher vibrations, they vibrate higher. And so vibrations that vibrate at the speed of 200, um, they go in resonance with courage. Or when, when we vibrate at that level, um, we become courageous, basically. We, we start attracting things and thoughts that give us courage. Everything below 200 is life-destroying. Shame and guilt are the two lowest. They're 20 and 30, I think. Shame is the lowest, and then guilt is, so shame is 20 and guilt is 30. And um, everything above 200 is life-giving. So ideally, we get ourselves into a space where we vibrate over 200 and then life starts getting better and better and um, slow and ease and and love and and an experience of what I call, you know, your own paradigm of paradise. That can be experienced when you vibrate, you know, 500 and above. Well, that's the most specific answer I have ever gotten from anybody about what positive energy is. <laughs> positive energy is a vibration above 200, and that is m- measured by some instruments that you have. I don't have them. But, you know, quantum physicists do that. And, quantum you know, other... physicists do that, really? Mm-hmm. And yeah, and, you know. This is not brainwaves because brainwaves are much lower frequencies than that, like three and five and eight. That's a different. What know, is it that's being measured? Are, it's the what's being me- so brainwaves can be very high vibrational, so it's a, it's a different kind of um, frequency. And you know, to be honest, I'm not the scientist, so I don't know how they measure it. Um, they measure the the speed of the vibrational frequency. Yes, I know, but it has to refer to something. It's not just 200 nothings, it's 200 what's. You know, so that's, that's, what, I, that's what I'm asking. What, what mm-hmm. is actually being measured here? So just a curious question, and I hear that you don't have the answer, so let's go yes. on yes, yes. to um, your experiences with the women that you took on a journey of sexual healing. What was one of the first things that really made you go, aha? Um, I was really thrown for a hoop when I started to remember because, like I said, I thought I had worked through everything. And um, I had a very good spiritual teacher at the time, and I talked to him, and my first aha was my conversation with him because um, I was feeling very confused and very depressed, and he just said, well, you know, this is part of your purpose. So that that was my first aha. And from, from that then came... Um, me looking for help and getting help from people that really helped me not stay stuck in the victim mentality, that really helped me to see how, you know, even though it's um, horrible and unforgiving in some ways, um, it really was was in some ways a blessing in my life because it helped me really step into my power in this lifetime. It gave you an opening that you chose to step through. Yeah, basically because I had given my power away, I didn't say anything as a child, but I could have. 
um, but I didn't to, it was my grandfather, so I, I didn't to, um, to protect him and out of love because I loved him. So, and then throughout my life, I kept giving away my power to the eating disorders and to other people and other situations. And if I hadn't done that, you know, I wouldn't have ended up in so much pain over everything that happened that I would have gone, oh, let me see how I do, you know, let me see why this is happening. And, oh, I do this. Right? I wouldn't have put two and two together. And then, and, then, and then the aha was, well, if I give my power away, then I'm also the one that can keep my power. Right? Yes. Yeah, so that was the big thing. First, we have to recognize we're giving it away. Yeah. So I had to go through all these painful experiences to realize that that's what happened. That's, that's what made me look, right? Do you want to talk at all about that eating disorder? Sure, yeah. So I was stuck in it for 10 years and really not realizing what was happening and tried everything to, you know, tried therapy and art therapy and all kinds of stuff. And my parents, you know, also suggested a lot of things. And then finally, um, my mother came across a modality called Family Constellations. And um, because I really wanted to heal, I took her suggestion and went to... um, what was the weekend workshop and had one session and within six months I was completely healed from the eating disorder. So to make a long story short, I got very intrigued with that modality and spent my whole twenties studying it. And I'm now one of the leading experts in the world in that modality because it literally saved my life. Could you tell us a little about that modality? It's a new one to me. I could make up what it is. I mean, as soon as I hear family constellations, I kind of see stars moving around and making yeah. different things. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, the the it, it it comes from Germany, and so the translation into the English is not very good because in English, you know, the word constellation is usually connected to the stars, and in in Germany, the the, the translated word is more like a, a placement in space would actually be the more correct translation, but. Anyways, basically, um, I'm just going to share about my experience because it's, it's it's very hard to describe because you really have to experience it, and I'm going to do my best. I've been doing this for 20 years, and I'm, and I'm still you know, not nowhere near to really do it any justice. But basically, I went to this weekend workshop. I didn't know anybody. Um, there were 16 people, and they all had their issues and wanted to get better. And um, when it was my turn, all they knew about me was that I had this eating disorder and that I wanted to get better. And the facilitators, there was a couple, they just asked me to pick people out of the circle. We were kind of sitting in a, in a big circle, and um, the facilitators asked me, asked me to pick five people from the audience and place them in the room, one for my mother, one for my father, one for my sister brother, and then one for the eating disorders and one for myself, actually six people. And so the, the word constellating comes from basically taking your inner picture and using representatives of other people and placing them in the room. So it's almost like um, more like family dynamics or you're creating a dynamic for these people. And then, then what happens is really miraculous by the facilitator, know all kinds of stuff about each other, about the dynamics, about what's, uh, what's going on, what's wrong in the picture and so forth. And so because we're using, you know, representatives of surrogates, um, my ego or, you know, anybody of my family's ego is not involved and we can really go deep and go into the soul and the subconscious level. And so what, what I know from doing this work is that there's a knowing field that basically 
holds all information, you know, of all times and is accessible to us all, right? We don't need special training for that. Um, and so the facilitators basically just ask these participants how they feel to, towards each other and what they need to say to each other. And it usually starts out very disjointed. And then, you know, through like a, a process of like a half an hour to an hour, um, people move, they say things to each other, and the whole picture moves into a picture where there's wholeness at the end and the love flows again. And um, basically, we use these representatives to shift the energy that's gotten stuck in the system. And it's extremely powerful. I like that use of uh, surrogates. I like gestalt techniques for that very reason. Yeah, yeah. That gestalt gives us that opportunity to explore things with surrogates so that we can get a little distance from what's going on. Exactly. Yeah, and it also reminds me, I don't know if you've ever heard of playback theater. Playback theater, I think it's pretty much an American thing. And Mm -hmm. if you go to a playback theater performance, uh, they say, who has something they want played back? So I went once. I had just gotten a phone call from my mm-hmm. ex where my daughter was, and this phone call said, I don't want to bother you, but Justine's been missing for two weeks now. I don't know where she is. Mm. She was 16 at the time. Wow. So when they said, does anybody you know, have an issue that they'd like played back? I said, yeah, yeah. My ex-husband just called and said that our daughter is missing. And so they did, you know, very, very much like what you just talked about, you know, mm-hmm. only they had costumes. Mm-hmm. They had a big costume rack. So I got to choose people. I got to costume them mm-hmm. and then arrange them. And then they played back the incident for me. Yeah. So quite yeah, similar they, they to probably, what you're talking about. This is Susan Weed talking with Carolyn Hauser. She's written an incredible book called Blossom, Seven Steps to Sexual Healing, and she also does personal work with people. Is that correct? Yes, I do. Yes. I take people on retreats. That's yes. my favorite thing. Oh, goody. And if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? My website is the best place, and that's womeninthefloor.com. Women, women plural. that's plural, women in the flow dot com. Women in the flow dot com will get you in touch with well what will they find when they go there? When you go there there will you will find several things. Um one of them is a gift for you that teaches you how you can without, you know, needing family consolation or anybody else, how you can basically transform negative energy that has gotten stuck in your body into positive ones so that you start feeling better and that your life starts flowing better. And um, then the other tool that I'm, that I'm gifting you when you go to my website is an, an exercise that helps you to know what your true yes and your true no is because when we do that, when we, when we follow our inner guidance on what feels right and good, we also start up-leveling and um, creating better things in our lives. So those two gifts are on the website, and then also a link to my free Facebook group, which is Women in the Flow, where I'm pretty active, and where it's, you know Facebook is a really great way to connect with me as well. So you can go there through my website. Oh, that is wonderful. Well, we also see information on Blossom. Is that the best place to yes. find information on yes. Blossom? <laughs> yes. 
I was just going to say, and of course, you can buy Blossom from, from my website, too. Okay, good. And um, if someone were to get a copy of Blossom, what would you suggest that they look at first? Well, I suggest for them to just read. It's, it's in two parts. The first part is the, my story. It's just 30 pages and, you know, a little bit of my background. And then the the rest of the book, part two, is really, it's a course. There is lessons for every day, and I really suggest, that you just read it every day for seven weeks. So there's seven weeks, seven lessons per week, and it's structured in, in a very particular way. And if you really stick to it and take yourself through it, or you could do it with a friend, um, you don't have to do it in seven weeks. You know, you could do a lesson for every two days. But really follow the structure and don't skip ahead because it builds very much on each other. What a beautiful gift. That is, yeah. that is so amazing. Thank you for that. You know, each one of us is unique. And each one of us has unique experiences in our lives. And each one of us heals and becomes more whole in unique ways. And yeah. that said, we have all had the same experiences. Yes. So it's it's not as though one person's experience has no bearing on me. Yes. And, and it's interesting how we all heal each other, time. and I certainly see it in working with groups, that sometimes the person who's doing the emotional work is not getting as much healing as the people who are observing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, because as you say, you can set your ego to the side and just observe what that other person is doing and then reflect on how you do it too. Exactly. So, does your program allow women to who have been sexually abused by men to feel safe with men again? Yes. Part of the reason why we don't feel safe, you know, after any kind of trauma, and I mean, especially after sexual trauma, is because our brain, our brain literally gets wired for survival. And so we have three parts of the brain. The, the, our highest part is in the top of our brain. That's where our creativity, our connection to the divine and so forth lies, our resourcefulness. And then the midbrain, that's more to do with our functions, the functions in the world. And then on the brainstem, on the bottom of our brain, where the neck meets the head, so to speak, that's our reptilian brain. And it's just really, it's really concerned with survival. And so nothing nothing is safe to that part of the brain. And when trauma happens, that brain kind of gets put into the driver's seat, gets put into charge when it really shouldn't, right? We should be able to make decisions from our highest part of our brain. But because of the traumatic experience, um, our, our brain naturally is on higher alert than from a person that hasn't been traumatized. And so the trick is to learn what to do to, to turn off that switch so that you have access to your to to your higher brain, and you do that by learning how to relax and really um, calm your nervous system. And so the way to feeling safe is not by you know becoming more mistrusting or installing alarm systems in your house. It's by really learning what to do to balance or rebalance your brain so that you can really assess a situation for what it is. Get that executive function back at the head of the conference table and get the hoodlums out of there. The hoodlums have their importance. (laughs) We don't want them running the show. 
you say that sexual abuse is not a psychological problem. Could you explain that? Yeah. So to me, like I said in the beginning, it is really an energetic problem because your whole physicality and your nervous system gets thrown out of balance, your brain, right? your brain chemistry, your wiring of your brain, and you cannot repair that through talking. And I'm not saying that all therapists just talk, but you need to actually work with your body and your energy in order to heal your nervous system. Somatize, somatize. I am a big believer in somatizing. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. I think that, you know, a lot of people just chatter away up there in their brain, no matter how high they are, and it's not really real until your body has experienced it. Exactly. Yeah, that's the key. It is certainly one of the keys, and it sounds like it's something that, that you deeply understand and can help people connect with, because that yes. in and of itself becomes kind of scary. It's why people like talk therapy, because because they exactly. don't ever really have to touch in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's why the book is really structured in the way it is. It really leads you gently from having your mind understand everything that's going to happen to slowly but surely re-entering in a very gentle way into your body and then learning what to do when you're in the body. And, and what I also want to say, you know, a lot of people are afraid that they have to relive the trauma but, you know, in order for a house to recover from the lightning strike, it doesn't have to go through another lightning strike, right? Well, so, I, actually, I actually had a lightning strike at my house, and flames shot out of my electric <laughs> outlet. It was scary, let me tell you. I think you're the, you're the, you're the first person, I think. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So my my computer scary. survived only because it, was not, because it was plugged into a backup, which was plugged into a backup because the first backup was blown. Wow, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we yep. were very happy about that. Carolyn, I could talk to you for such a long time. You have so much interesting material to share with us. But alas, a blog talk show, and you know they slam that door yes. on us. And I always like to give you the last minute. What would you like to leave the listeners? What would you like to leave in their hearts and their minds? Yes. So we talked about power and how we have power. The thing is, we don't have power over other people. We don't have power over our circumstances for the most part. We do have power over our own vibrational state. And so making, you know, learning tools, how you can help yourself get into a higher vibrational space, a priority, um, that is actually the way to really claim your power and be in your power. And so I just want to encourage you to remember that and to find ways to learn about vibration, the vibration and how to um, increase your vibrational frequency. How to help yourself feel more comfortable with more life force flowing through your body. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it, that's that's what we have power over. We do have power over our own body and how much, you know, energy we do allow to flow through us. Yeah. And I I, I definitely am in all in for executive function, but unfortunately, executive function does sometimes somehow seem to get caught up in that blame, shame, guilt trip. And so sometimes yeah. we do have to steer around it. Um, we often say to the apprentices, we're all for all emotions that are useful, and blame, shame, and guilt are the most useless emotions in the book. <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, I just look at it from like there's just a lower vibration frequency, and the tool that I'm giving away on the website will actually help you to just treat them like any other um, lower vibrational frequency so that you can use it as a fuel for your 
basically, you know, it's like the alchemist turning the lead into the gold, and you're using your body for that alchemical process. Thank you so much, Carolyn Hauser, C-A-R-O-L-I-N, Carolyn H-A-U-S-E-R, Hauser, thank you for helping me reweave the healing cloak of the ancients. And hey, Rebecca, herbal medicine as people's medicine, yay you. Green blessings to everybody and good night. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Good night.